Hey everyone, welcome to the Political Deactivist Podcast. You know what, we're actually rebranding, we're taking the word political out of the Political Deactivist Podcast and it's just going to be called Deactivist. I know, such radical changes around here, I don't know how you keep up. Anywho, today we're talking with Brian Marlowe from the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. Now if you want to watch the whole interview, you can just head to YouTube at youtube.com forward slash you forward slash Deactivist. Or you can just type in Deactivist into the little search bar. Can you hear that? That's my package. So enjoy the show. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. It doesn't look like we're playing footsies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so liberty-minded. <laughs> Fuck. Why don't you tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do here at ATA, first of all? Sure. So I'm Brian Marlow. I'm the executive director of the ATA. Uh, and the ATA is a not-for-profit advocacy organisation that campaigns against overtaxation, uh, stupid regulations and government waste. So elevator spiel to people is if the government's spending too much of your money, if they're taking too much of your money, uh, or if they're creating stupid regulations that you think should go, we're the organisation for you. So you take, so people email you and say, hey, this is what's going on, and you, you chase them up? or how Yeah, look, it, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg sort of thing. So sometimes we'll have people suggest saying, you know, hey, look, uh, the government's announcing there's some changes on superannuation, for instance. We don't agree with it. Uh, what are your thoughts? And we'll sort of have a look at what's going on and, and make a, a viewpoint from there. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, we know what our basic viewpoints are. Uh, and a lot of the times, you know, we'll just keep abreast of what the federal government and state governments are doing, uh, make an assessment, let our subscribers know, uh, and, and, and sort of generate a lot of our revenue through that. So basically, you know, we're donation driven. Uh, our subscribers donate to our campaigns. Uh, and you can usually tell which campaigns are the ones they care about because those are the ones that get the most donations and it's a self-selecting process. Yeah. So what, what has been one of the things that you guys have been working on? What has the market decided that that's what you guys should be focusing on? Yeah, so within ATA, the biggest campaign we're pushing at the moment is the post-COVID recovery plan, uh, which is essentially an economic uh, recovery plan once we're on the other side of this mm -hmm. pandemic, whenever that may happen. Because you've seen federal and state governments lock down entire industries, mm -hmm. lock down entire states, mm -hmm. uh, completely just run rough, rough shod, rough shod? Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, there you go. We'll have the I don't know why that was screen. so hard to, to, to punch out uh, over, you know, small and medium-sized businesses. And the economic impacts are just huge. Mm. You know, that's not to say that you can't do anything during a pandemic, but there's been some pretty ham-fisted policies. We're looking at around a trillion dollar debt that's going to have to be repaid. And the, the incentive from governments is always just to raise taxes. Well, that's not going to work. You can't tax businesses that are barely surviving mm. uh, into prosperity. Mm. So our economic plan is around reducing taxation, getting rid of stupid regulations that are restricting businesses, uh, opening up the economy and you know, letting us really start again. That's our biggest campaign at the ATA right now, uh, followed by a superannuation campaign to push mm. against the increase to a 12% compulsory super. So I was working on a, a video which was showing uh, that the only way to get out of this kind of situation is if we reduce the company tax rate. And I needed some animators for it, so I went to you know some freelance websites, mm. went to some animators and I said, hey look, this is what I'm working on, uh, does anyone want to animate it, what's your price? And a lot of people said, we don't agree with this political stance. And I was like, 
you don't want lower taxes. I don't understand. Like, you don't want to keep more of your own money. Well, I mean, you know, you work in the creative space, and a lot of creative types tend to mm. uh, be on the left side of the political mm. spectrum. And unfortunately, while a lot of the stuff that they push sounds nice, it just doesn't work. Uh, you can't tax businesses into prosperity. It just doesn't work that way. And you know, look around here. We haven't got lockdowns anywhere like what's happened in Victoria, but even here commercial properties are up for lease and they've been vacant for months. Mm. Uh, just around the corner at our local cafe, the only reason he made it through is because he owns the property that he's in, but everyone else around him, they're all gone. Mm. Uh, and he's still barely surviving. So if the government turns around and goes, look, we ramped up a bunch of spending and now we need to pay it back. So you just made it through, now we're gonna increase your tax rates, that's just not gonna work. Mm. Uh, so I, look, I don't understand the logic of of people that say, I disagree with getting out of the way of businesses. It's not like the cafe is all of a sudden going to go, oh, there's no restrictions, let's put lead in the coffee. <laughs> they want to retain their customers. Mm. I think we'll be okay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think they're going to start serving deep fried bat anytime soon <laughs> in the local cafe. Apparently you know, it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I'd try it, man. <laughs> so what, what, what have you guys been... Uh, What's the consensus here about what's going on in Victoria? Because every news poll that comes out says, oh no, people support Daniel Andrews. Well, first of all, do you think that's true? And second of all, what do you guys think yeah, about so, Victoria? So first of all, I don't think that's true. Uh, I think you, in the same way that you get silent conservatives in polling, uh, you get silent anti-lockdowners in polling because it is not uh, publicly okay to question the narrative around lockdowns. And even for myself, uh, you know, I'm not a coronavirus is a 5G conspiracy person. Wait, it's not? It, it's not, apparently. Oh, um, Let's delete however, this question. <laughs> we'll just delete this entire interview. <laughs> um, but you're seeing really ham-fisted policy that's destroying businesses, destroying lives. People uh, attending peaceful protests getting smashed by the cops. Uh, you know, we saw footage of someone getting rammed by a police car and then being curb stomped. Uh, and yet the polling is still so high. And I think that's because even just in private settings, if you sort of question it, people sort of just sprout the media narrative of like, but don't you care about coronavirus? And it's like, no, I do. I just don't necessarily think this is the best way to handle what's happening. Mm. Uh, so I think that when they get a call, and don't forget what are the age demographics of people that are getting a call, probably older people that are happy to just stay at home. Mm. So when they get a phone call saying, do you support these lockdowns? they're not that likely to say no. So I think that the numbers mm. are nowhere near what the polling indicates on that. Mm. I don't think I've ever been called by someone asking me for, to do a survey. We have a mobile, right? Yeah. As opposed to a landline, that's yeah, why. Right. Oh, okay. And <laughs> who are the people who actually say, yes, I'd like to do a survey? Well, like, well, who's I got the time five for that? Like five minutes to just spend on, you know, on the phone doing a random survey, mm. especially about random stuff. So yeah, I, look, I, I don't buy the polling data on that mm. at all. Okay, so what, what do you guys uh, see would be the end point for Victoria? I guess, do you see Daniel Andrews being overthrown somewhat or do you see it just playing out to Christmas? What's the prediction? I'm actually putting together an op-ed about this and I, I hope to get it published in the Daily Telegraph, uh, although we'll see. Uh, look, I actually think that the states that have gone as hard as they have on coronavirus and just, you know, 
morality and basic sense of control be damned, I think they're going to get annihilated. So I think Daniel Andrews, whether or not he gets stabbed in the back and spilled or whether or not he goes to the next election, he's gone. And I think Palaszczuk up in Queensland is gone too. Purely, funnily enough, based on just a couple of cases where in Queensland, you know, you had a mother based in New South Wales who had a dying baby in Queensland and couldn't go and visit her dying child mm. uh, or people that couldn't go to a funeral. Mm. And I think that people, now that those sorts of things from COVID restrictions are, are sort of coming home to roost, people that may have supported the idea of it but didn't think about the actual implications of what a lockdown looks like and now sitting back going, this is fucked. So, yeah, I think in, in the same way that, you know, after September 11, America brought in the Patriot Act, so it was like this ham-fisted response, uh, in the same way that, like, you had a polling bump and then all of a sudden George Bush became the war hawk who's curtailing freedoms, uh, I think you'll have the same thing that happens with lockdown fetishists. So mm. you have a polling bump where they go, good, Dan Andrews and, and Palaszczuk is being really strong on, mm. on lockdowns. So, oh shit, there's no jobs. My business is gone. I can't see my family. And mm. there's all this stuff and it's because of this person. Mm. I think that will come home to roost. Mm. Yeah, and I think it will all come home when they cease JobKeeper and JobSeeker and then people are like, actually, now I don't have that support. Yeah, and when bank holidays end and mm. people start having to pay back their mortgages, there was an article in the AFR the other day that said about 20% of people are already ghosting their banks, so just refusing to pick up calls yeah. and things like that because their bank holidays are coming towards an end. There's going to be more of that. So you'll see a housing crisis, you'll see an unemployment crisis, you'll see all kinds of stuff that really all of the current stimulus has just delayed the inevitable until next year. Uh, and I think there'll be an early election federally next year as well. So I think for the federal government, if they don't take decisive action as well to ease back on some of the stuff that's happening, they're going to get blamed with it too, and they'll get crushed. Scott Morrison has been oddly quiet about Melbourne. What do you think of that? He's not really, like he condemns some things, but he's just kind of taken a step back. What are your views on, on his leadership? I mean, this is me spitballing. Uh, look, I disagree. I think he should be calling out Dan Andrews for particularly the behaviour of Victoria Police uh, and, and calling on the Premier to, to pull that in because what we're seeing is just atrocious. Uh, now, obviously, you know, he's a federalist, so it's up to the states to determine how they enforce things and, and, and you know, drive their own course on COVID. I understand that. I'm not saying get rid of the states, but he should call out the Premier for allowing the police to act the way that they are acting in Victoria. I think, and this is just spitballing, uh, strategically though, as ScoMo's a bit of a campaign guy, he's probably letting the flames sort of lick the ankles of people within Victoria, so to speak, with a view to knowing that that will just destroy Labor in Victoria in the lead up to the next election. Uh, let's be real about this, it's politics everywhere. You had Scott Morrison sort of shedding tears about people not being able to access their families in different states, whilst also at a federal level denying that right to people overseas and things like that. So mm. it's, yeah, it's COVID theatre. COVID theatre, I like that. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys have been doing in regards to vaping legislation and the success you guys have had and what, what's next there. Sure, so we, in addition, well, in addition to running Australian Taxpayers Alliance, I also run Legalised Vaping Australia, uh, which was set up by the ATA. 
uh, and it's a campaign to legalise nicotine vaping uh, as a consumer product. I think I've got some juices here. Yeah, so hopefully the autofocus gets this. Is, the, is, this, uh, is this legal juice or illegal Yeah, this is, this is legal. This doesn't have nicotine in there, just in case the health minister's watching. Um, but essentially, to run through the regulatory framework, you can buy these vaping products in Australia, no questions asked, because there's no nicotine in it. However, nicotine is the addictive chemical in cigarettes that most vapors who are ex-smokers want to consume. About 80% of them consume nicotine. Under the federal law, you can only get nicotine vaping liquids uh, online and overseas because it can't be sold in Australia and you must have a prescription. And then every state and territory law says it's illegal to possess these liquids. So even if you get the prescription, which most don't, technically you could be fined for possessing it. Oh, wow. And it's just a product that helps you quit smoking that isn't as harmful as cigarettes. So our campaign is all around legalising that. We're supported by Australian vape companies and vape vendors uh, who donate to our campaign. They produce juices, including our own branded juices that are sold to the vaping community. Uh, and you know, it's been a massive campaign for us. We started about three years ago and thought that it would be a random petition and some online stuff, and it's just ramped up you know, again and again and again. Uh, recently, the Federal Health Minister announced plans to ban, effectively ban nicotine vaping by forcing people to get a prescription and only get it from a pharmacy. Uh, we managed to delay that ban. It's set to take effect on January 1st, but we're looking to try and kill that ban completely and get these products legalised mm. so that you can buy them anywhere you can buy a cigarette. Mm. So what about the, the oh, it's going to lead children to smoking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, anti-vapers like to say that vaping acts as a gateway to smoking and that it will attract kids to, to take up vaping and then eventually go across to cigarettes. Now that may have been a valid concern five or ten years ago when we didn't have the data, but vaping's legal in every OECD country and that just hasn't happened. Uh, so whilst it sounds scary, when you literally just look at basic figures, you can see that isn't happening. Uh, one of the stats they point to is they say, yes, but youth vaping rates have increased since vaping's been legal. To which the response is, well, that's like saying that PlayStation usage increased after PlayStation existed. Mm. It's like, yeah, before PlayStation existed, no one played PlayStation. Then it came out, lots of kids started playing PlayStation. Uh, but when you actually dive into the data, it's experimental. So the vast majority of them, they've tried to vape once, tried it twice, they didn't like it. In the same way, a lot of the kids have tried a cigarette before that and didn't like it. Uh, and then when you look at youth smoking rates, youth smoking rates have gone down because those kids who smoke, who shouldn't smoke, have tried vaping. And they shouldn't vape either, but at least they're not smoking bloody cigarettes. Hmm. And at least you can't uh, smell the vape on your clothes, or maybe it'll be a fresh smell, so your teacher's like, oh, well, it doesn't you, smell you like smell cigarettes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so what are, your, uh, what are your thoughts around uh, sleepy Joe Biden and Donald Trump? Who's gonna win? You know, for a while I thought Biden might win. Uh, and that was just based on like the media machine was all behind Biden. Trump was kind of tanking because he was just on coronavirus and on some other things at the beginning. He kind of just really had a bit of a boomer moment and just sort of lost direction. Uh, but I think he's turned it around. I think he'll get in. I think he'll probably get in quite comfortably. I think the uh, protests in America whilst they started out with a pretty noble cause, which I fully agree with, which is getting rid of police brutality, have transformed into something else. 
Uh, and I think that it's backfiring hard for Democrats that supported it at the beginning because you've, you've gone from people rightly protesting you know, the, the needless death of, 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 of people uh, and the insane violence that police in America commit. And it went from that to robbing a convenience store or you know, burning down random buildings or harassing people who are just out having dinner. Uh, and I know that that's just a small minority of the group that are protesting, but it's big enough that people have turned away from it. You didn't see that kind of stuff in Hong Kong with people protesting against mm. the CCP. Mm. Uh, they were very controlled and calm and collected. So whilst they may have been throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails at the army barracks, because these were the people representing the destruction of their society, they weren't then going through the streets mm. and assaulting random bystanders. Mm. They weren't robbing convenience stores mm. or going into a target and stealing things. They weren't assaulting people sitting down having dinner. Mm. What are, you, you spent some time in Hong Kong covering the protests. So what are your thoughts regarding that? I know we're jumping around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And particularly, I, I have heard uh, insider sources saying, <coughs> well, it's actually driven a lot by uh, racism. So is there any truth to that? And what was your experience? The Hong Kong protests are driven yeah. by racism? So in terms of people who are native to Hong Kong don't like mainland Chinese, and it's just because they're mainland. Oh, right, okay. No, it's got nothing to do with them being mainlanders. It's got to do with uh, some, some basic differences of, of, of political ideology. Uh, and look, you could call it a cultural difference. But I went to those protests back when they were in full swing last year. Uh, I went over because I wanted to find out about them and you know, find out what the actual deal was because I don't necessarily trust everything that I read. Uh, and I went over there expecting to see something that was somewhat uplifting uh, and you know, to be honest I thought it might be a little bit of fun. I didn't really think about it at m much more than a skin deep level other than, oh let's go to this pro-democracy protest and find out what's going on. Uh, in reality, it was kind of depressing because you had students, 17, 18, 19 years old, basically kids, uh, out fighting against uh, brutal police uh, and fighting against the stripping away of their rights. So it was started because the Hong Kong government, which is just a puppet government for the Chinese Communist Party, was trying to push through an extradition bill that would allow the Chinese government to extradite people from mm. Hong Kong to China where they don't have a right to a free trial, they have something like a 99.9% .9 conviction rate, torture is rampant, slave camps were rampant, uh, and they didn't want part, any part of that. And it, and it also meant that it would strip away the you know, one party, two systems rule that they've been living under since, since the CCP took over. Uh, but it was, it was sad because you could sort of see the slow strangle coming through. Uh, when I went there, we saw people getting assaulted, people getting arrested. Uh, the police would shut down the subway systems after the protest ended. They would go onto those subways, find people wearing black, because black was the colour of the protesters, and just arrest them mm. without due cause or without any kind of evidence. Just, you're wearing black, you're probably a protester, you're under arrest. They would assault them, they would tear gas people in the trains, so there'd be innocent bystanders also getting tear gassed. Uh, it was just crazy. And unfortunately, uh, despite signalling by Western governments that we all supported this, 
they're all but abandoned. So the extradition bill's gone through. Protest organizers in Hong Kong that have tried to escape the country have since been arrested and extradited to China. No one knows what's happened to them. Uh, it's, yeah, it's sad. Do you think we should, uh, so what would our recourse be? How do we respond to this? Do we think, do you think we should be doing things like uh, boycotting Milan or what's the, like as a... <laughs> I don't know if boycotting Milan would work. I'm not a big cancel culture person. Um, I don't I'm know, man. Broadly... I've seen your cancel culture war. I think you're praising it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, look, I'm broadly uh, supportive of, of, of free trade. However, I think that the CCP is an exception to that rule. Uh, nothing that we've ever done through trade deals has ever made the CCP more amenable to liberal democratic principles. All they've ever done is use the revenue that's generated through trading with other nations to build their party, to build their military, and to exert their influence overseas. Uh, I think the best things to do are what's currently happening, which is Australia, the UK, America, and most of the West is now entering into better trade agreements with India and Japan and you know, uh, even Vietnam uh, and other surrounding nations to try and divest away from the CCP. Uh, because one thing people don't understand is that you, we're not operating on the same playing field. So when you go online onto Alibaba or buy a product from a Chinese company, you're not buying it from some street vendor and giving him cash and allowing him to live a better lifestyle. You're buying it from a company that is a huge monolith that is, has like CCP appointed board directors that use some of those funds to fund things like United Front, which is their propaganda budget, uh, to fund their stability maintenance budget, which is three times their defense budget and goes into putting you know, spies into universities and you know, uh, monitoring dissent overseas. It's not the same as, oh, we had a pork trade deal with India and it worked out well. So yeah, diverse from China. <laughs> so I, I think to wrap things up, like we're not in the same boat as China yet, but even in Sydney when they had the Freedom Day rallies, there were peaceful protesters. I was there, covered it all, uh, mm. just getting arrested there, ripping their signs down. The police are stomping people in the head in Melbourne, uh, ripping people out of their cars. Ramming them with cars. Ramming yep. them with cars as well. Uh, that guy's in a coma now, by the way. Um, where do we start, I guess, to unravel this? Do we, do we start at the local level? Do we do an op-ed, uh, open letter to police to try and tug at their heartstrings? What do we, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, it seems like police all over the world are just these kind of robots yeah, that serve I, the system. So what, you what know, do you when, think When I do? used to work for Senator Lionhelm, he opened a can of worms when uh, he was asked about some violent tactics by police at a Western Sydney Wanderers game. And he said, you know, there's a saying that all cops are bastards and it's up to the cops to unearn that label. And I think that still holds true. Uh, when I see footage of cops ramming a dude in their cop car and then curb stomping him, the first thought that comes to mind is all cops are bastards. Uh, you're not gonna pull at their heartstrings. An open letter's not gonna do that. What needs to be done is there needs to be proper review processes put in place. Uh, the government's that are in charge, that oversee those police forces at the time that aren't taking the right action, need to be kicked out and they need to be smashed at the polls. Uh, and there needs to be a proper uh, overhaul of this because otherwise you do fall into the same territory where 
you know, we're doing the same things that we criticise when we see it overseas. You know, Victoria's in a lockdown that's longer than the Wuhan lockdowns. What the fuck are we doing? Uh, people are getting arrested for saying we should peacefully protest and to bring PPE and to socially distance. Cops are going into, an, uh, into a mother's home and just yanking her out. It's insane. Hmm. So what would your closing remarks be to Daniel Andrews if he's watching? Uh, resign. Or if you're not going to resign, call an election so we can kick you the fuck out. Very uh, direct. So yep. tell, tell us where we can learn more about the ATA and, uh, and legalised vaping. Uh, so for the ATA, you can go to taxpayers.org.au. Uh, everything's on there on our website. We have policy papers, submissions. Uh, you can get involved. You become, it can become a recurring subscriber that comes with all kinds of benefits. And if you want to find out about the wonderful world of vaping and why it needs to be legalised, you can go to legalisedvaping.com.au uh, and find all the information you need there. Brian, thanks for having us. Thanks right. for having us. That's it. We're starting you know again. Done. We're starting, the, starting the whole podcast again. All right, so Brian, tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, I don't really do much. I just get angry at the staff. Emilio, where's my coffee, goddammit? No. <laughs>